Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. It's so good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Such a beautiful presence in this place. Well, I've always been a little bit of an adventure seeker. I have. And I don't really factor in risk or consequences. If there's an adventure to sign up for, there's a 99.9% chance that I'm going to take it. When I was younger, I went to Mexico and I had the opportunity to jump on an ATV. They handed out helmets and scarves to cover our faces because we were about to go four-wheeling through some sand dunes. I strapped on my helmet and I tied the scarf around my nose and mouth. And by the way, it never once occurred to me that flying through those sand dunes could result in me rolling over. Statistically, over 135,000 people are injured every year due to ATV accidents. Well, I didn't think about the possibility of an accident. I just charged ahead. Or that one time in San Diego when I jumped on a sea dew and raced my dad and sister around the bay. I kept blowing by them until I gassed it and went nowhere. I couldn't figure out why my jet ski stopped out of the blue. Well, apparently I had dripped o- drifted over to a kelp bed and every time I gassed it, I sucked kelp up into the engine. Let's just say it was a miracle that I didn't have to pay for that jet ski. Or there was that time I swam with the dolphins in the Caribbean. This was not a little Mary had a little lamb dolphin interaction program like at SeaWorld when they put you in a wetsuit and you get to pet the dolphins. No, this was out in the Caribbean. You had to sign a waiver. They give you a life jacket, no wetsuit, and they tell you to hang on to these two dolphins that are trained to swim up and wait for their command to propel you through the water. Well, it never occurred to me that those dolphins could have been temperamental or had an off day, which might include dragging me down to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Then there was that time I decided to jump out of a plane over the desert. I jumped in tandem, so there was a complete stranger strapped to my back. It was like, hey, nice to meet you. Are you ready to skydive? So we suited up and we walked out to this little puddle jumper plane that would rise 13,000 feet above ground to drop us. As my instructor harnessed us in, it never really occurred to me that the parachute could possibly not inflate or that he forgot to pack a parachute altogether. When the door of the plane opened, my instructor said, are you ready? I nodded and he said, okay, I'm gonna count to three. I nodded again as we hung at the edge of the plane's doorway, ready to roll out. The air pushed past my face and whipped into the cabin of the plane. One, two, and he pushed us out of the plane. There was no three. He said he was going to count to three. He did not count to three. He rolled us out on three. But I heard after the fact that every time they've waited and counted to three, someone says, never mind, I don't want to do this. 
So they say I'm going to count to three, and then they push you out on two. Well, our parachute did successfully deploy, but when we landed, my instructor didn't detach the parachute in time. So the wind picked up, and me and the instructor strapped to my back were drug several feet over the rocky desert, and we both of us weren't stronger than that parachute picking us up. So it was a little rocky landing. He's like, we're going to stick this landing. I'm like, well, we I don't know what that was, but that was not sticking the landing, okay? <laughs> but would I do it again? In a heartbeat. So I've always just been like, yeah, adrenaline rush, let's do it. I'm totally up for it. Well, amazingly, as much as I've loved adventure, I've never broken a bone, which is kind of shocking. Normally, people that like adventure, it's like, yeah, I broke my arm again. And it's, it's shocking even just talking about the wipeouts at the end of my street when I was a little kid on my bicycle or that one Christmas my parents bought me those skates that are supposed to strap around your tennis shoes. Anybody remember those? Nobody really remembers them because they were taken off market almost like as soon as they were put on, the death skates. So anyway, I'll never forget walking outside, sitting on the cement, and strapping myself in to those skates. They were adjustable, so I pulled the straps tightly around my shoes. I stood up and started rolling. My first thought was, this is not going to end well. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know it's going to end in disaster, so you kind of just brace for impact, right? So within seconds, I had a crash landing. And in typical Jessica Bradley fashion, after I fell, I unbuckled myself from those horrible death skates, and I left those things outside and walked right into the house. So that was the first and last time that I ever tried those. And as much as I love adventure, I will not be strapping myself into skates again anytime soon, okay? But with all of my crazy stunts, I've never broken a bone. Oh, but I thought all the other kids at school that broke an arm or a leg were so cool. They would show up with their cast, and everyone would gather around them, asking vital questions like, well, what if your arm gets itchy? How do you scratch it? Kids really think of the important stuff, don't they? And I would look on and secretly hope that I would be asked to sign their cast. That was the coolest part. You break your arm, you show up to school with a white canvas, and everybody wants to sign you. I remember one of my classmates showing up with a cast, and I was like waiting around for an invitation to sign. I had a marker ready, and I was like, any minute now. I think she, I eventually got sick of waiting to be asked, and finally was like, hi, can I sign your cast? She was like, what's your name? <laughs> Just kidding, she let me sign it. So I have never broken a bone. Oh, but I have known brokenness. I've come face to face with heartache and pain so great that I suffered depression. Depression that was debilitating, depression that was crippling. All I wanted to do was hide from the world, stay in my bed, and sleep. I could sleep for hours, but I would never feel rested. I would go to bed tired, 
and I would wake up tired. I had no energy. I would wake up in the morning because I had to, but I had no desire to comb my hair or to put myself together. I would sit and cry and cry and cry. And there was one point where I wondered if I would ever move past this place, if I would ever move beyond this point of pain, this place of suffering, this place of hurt, and this place of shame. If we're not careful, if we don't deal with the hurt, if we don't deal with the pain, the depression, the hurt can turn to anger, the anger can turn to a grudge, the grudge to hate, and worst, our heart can grow bitter. In that season, that depression and pain took root in my heart, and without warning, bitterness began to creep in. Once bitterness takes root in your heart, it will affect you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It is devastating, and it can and will destroy you. It'll rob you of your peace, it can rob you of your joy, and it can leave you sitting in darkness. Well, by the grace of God, he sent an angel and my mother to point this out, to show me that if I didn't let go, the bitterness would take over my life and destroy my future. She told me to go before the throne and leave everything there. And I'll never forget that moment, the moment that I let go. I was in a prayer meeting and I fell to my knees and I opened my hands before the king. Sometimes we hold on so tightly to the pieces of ourselves that are broken that our hands start to bleed because we are trying to hide it or because we think that eventually we will be able to fix it or that eventually we'll make sense of the brokenness and somehow be able to piece ourselves back together. Well, I was sick of carrying the pieces. So I met with the master. I took my brokenness, my hurt, my pain, my shame, and my disappointment, my anger, my hatred, and my bitterness, and I laid it all at his feet. And in that prayer meeting, I barged into the throne room, and I ran to his feet with the pieces. I set my broken heart before him, and I begged him to fix me, to wipe away everything that didn't serve me, and I asked him to make me whole again. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 34.18 says, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord is drawn to the broken. The Lord is drawn to the hurting. He loves you no matter where you're at. And there is always going to be hope in the places of darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, because he is with me. Because we have a Savior, there is always hope. There is always hope. Psalm 147.3 says, He healeth the broken heart and bindeth up their wounds. In that season of depression that I walked through, the only thing I had to offer God was brokenness. All I had to offer God were broken pieces. That was my offering, but I brought it anyway. 
The devil would love nothing more than to put you down and to keep you down, to remind you that you are broken, to lie to you and say that you are beyond fixing, you are beyond repair, and you are too far gone. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. Did you hear that? My Bible says that nobody is righteous. Nobody's perfect. We all fall short and rely daily on the grace and mercies of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have to say, get, me, get behind me, Satan. I'm meeting with the master. Don't let him play tricks on your mind or speak to you about your brokenness or speak to you about hiding those places of your heart. Get out of my way. He created me, and he already knows what's going on with us, whether or not we decide to tell him. Get out, get out of my way. Get behind me, Satan. I'm meeting with the master. I need the touch of God. All I had to offer were broken pieces. I brought them anyway. I brought them anyway. I brought them anyway. Psalm 51:17 says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise." Matthew 5:4 says, "Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted." And in that prayer meeting, as I fell at his feet, he began to bind up my wounds and heal my broken heart. We make the mistake of looking outside of ourselves for fixing. We're still waiting on an apology from that person that maybe wronged us. Or we're still waiting on an explanation. Or we're still trying to understand why that happened in the first place. No person will ever be able to make you whole. Only God can do that. God created you. Let him fix you. Let him mend the broken pieces of your heart. He's the only one that can mend that which is broken. There's a centuries-old Japanese art of fixing pottery. It's called kintsuji. Kin means golden, and suji means rejoining or repair. So kintsuji literally translates to golden repair. In America, if we break something, we usually throw it out, don't we? I mean, if we're being honest. We're like, what a hassle. I now I'm going to be late to work. I broke a cup, right? So for us, the value is immediately gone because in our minds, that thing that we just broke is no longer perfect. So it's shattered. We sweep up the pieces. Maybe we vacuum. We mop. And we walk to the nearest trash can, and we throw it all away. Well, in Japan, rather than discard the broken pieces, the Japanese would rejoin them together with a special tree sap lacquer dusted with gold so that when the pieces were put back together, instead of disguising the fractures, the gold actually emphasized them. It made the broken pottery whole again, but even more beautiful than the original because now traces of gold ran everywhere where there had previously been cracks. The gold filled those places that were once broken. And on the screens before you is an example of a piece of pottery that was broken and mended back together in this fashion. And you can see everywhere the pottery had been broken, 
because that's where the gold veins run now. This practice embraced seeing the beauty in the flawed and in the imperfect. And I believe that's what God did for me with my broken pieces and what God can do with yours. Everything that God touches turns to gold. Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 1 through 6 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again, another vessel, as it seemed good for the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. When we bring our broken pieces to God, he helps us redefine what wholeness looks like. He reshapes us and makes all things new within us. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's the only one that can make rivers in the desert. He can make life out of something that seems barren. He can make something spring up in you in places that you thought were too far gone. Revelation 21.5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. These words are true. These words are faithful. The rejoining takes time. This process that I just shared with you about, it takes time. Healing, mending, it all takes time. And part of the Kintsuji process includes filing away the sharp edges once the pieces of pottery are bonded back together. Filing away those parts that are rough and that need to be smoothed out. Sometimes when we're broken, there's edges of us that are a little sharp, that if even, you know, as time passes, it still, it, it cuts deep and it, it, we're hurting. It needs to be smoothed out. And sometimes when God is working on us, it's not always comfortable. It's not. Because we have to be willing to show him everything. We have to be willing to be honest about and bring him everything so that he can cleanse us and file away anything that does not glorify him. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. When we die to ourselves and give him the pieces, he will make something beautiful out of us. And I hope that when you see me, I hope that when you look at my life, there's more gold than anything else. 
I hope that when you look at me, you see the fingerprints of God upon my life, less of me and more of him. And even as time goes on, even like this vase, when we're put back together, God, chip away at the pieces that aren't of you. Chip away at the things in my heart that aren't of you, that don't glorify you. Because I want you to be reflected in everything that I do. And I don't care how broken that I have to be. Grind me down so that there's nothing left but purity for you. See, the thing is, is this vase not broken is whole. But this vase broken and filled back up with gold is of much more value. And I'm okay with being broken if it means God is glorified. And I'm okay with being vulnerable if it means God is glorified. And I'm okay with being open if it means God is glorified. God, let them see you in me. In everything that I do, let them see you in me. Job 23.10 says, But he knows the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. I want that for all of us. When we are tried, we'll never blame God. When we are put through the fire, we'll never point to God and ask why. We'll say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. And when you've tried me, I've come forth as pure gold by the grace and mercies of God. You know, we can often waste too much time trying to quantify or explain our offering. We wring our hands about it. We overthink it. And we disqualify ourselves and end up holding on tightly to our offering and never giving it over to God. God is our Heavenly Father. And as a reminder, just in case you forgot, I'm here to remind you, you're all King's kids. Amen? Amen. I said you're all King's kids. And boy, I think, you know, we have a bad day and that's the first thing we forget. We are all children of the King sons and daughters of the Most High God. His royal blood runs through your veins, covered your life, covered your sins. You were bought with a price. You are precious sons and daughters of the King. Just a reminder. And I want you to recall a time that you made something for a parent. Or one of your children made something for you in school school projects. Was it perfect? No, because they put their little hands on it before the paint dried and left fingerprints all over it, right? Or they came running to you in the pickup line at school and dropped their craft and they cracked it on the way to your car. So they're going to pick up the cracks, whatever they made, and come running still, right? And did your child's craft lose any value in your eyes if it was dropped, if it was chipped, if it was broken? Believe me, if I brought something halfway decent home, my mom would have been like, did you pay the teacher to do this for you? No, I, half of what I brought home, I was like, "What?" I look back like, what is this? I had zero artistic ability, but anyway. But the, the craft of, that your child put together that they worked on, even if it was cracked, even if it was chipped, even if it was broken, it didn't lose value in your sight because they brought it anyway with all their might running to your car 
with all their love, with all their hearts, they brought it for you. They made it for you. And you wouldn't believe some of the disasters that I brought home that still got hung on the fridge. Like, sweetest mom ever. It was a disaster, and she was looking for a magnet to hang it up. Bless her sweet little heart, right? She pulled out one craft recently. I think we were going through the garage or closets or whatever, and it was a bunch of cotton balls glued to a piece of construction paper. What was the purpose of that? Like, I, what were we making? What was the object of that lesson? I have no idea. So who knows what that was supposed to be? But she kept it. She loves it because I'm her child. I made it for her, and I brought it to her. I gave it to her with all of my heart, even though half of the glitter that was supposed to be on the craft ended up in my hair or on me, right? The washer, that's, that's always fun, getting glitter out of the washer. I don't care what your offering looks like. Whatever it is you have to bring, bring it to Jesus. He delights in you, son and daughter of the king. Whatever you have, your uniqueness, your talents, your abilities, bring it to the king. God can't beautify, multiply, or perfect our offering until you release it and put it into his hands. He will always multiply what we bring. I want to remind you of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the little lad's lunch. And the story can be found in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Just for our purposes today, I'm going to read verses 5 through 14. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? So there's 5,000 people here. When are we going to buy bread so that everybody can eat? But he said this to prove him or test him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. God always knows what he's capable of, but sometimes he tests us to make sure that we know who we're serving. Philip answered him, all we have is, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, 200 penny worth of bread, and it's not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, brother saith, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among many? Now, I just want to stop for a moment. If you study scripture and commentary, barley loaves actually indicated that this little boy was from a very poor family. Because in that time, barley was actually used to feed the animals. It was reserved for the animals. So this little boy with his two barley loaves, this is important. Him being from a poor family is important because that little lad may have even been shy to offer up his lunch that was typically reserved to feed the animals. Or even if that little lad was willing and marched right up to the uh, disciples, you can see how the disciples may have been a little bit hesitant to even mention it, to even mention it to Jesus in the first place. But Jesus can work with anything that we bring 
We just have to bring it. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. God waits for our participation to begin the multiplication. God waits for our participation to begin the multiplication. Verses 10 through 14 say, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, and the number was about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down. And likewise, the same of the fishes as much as they would or as much as they could eat. When they were filled, when they were full, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above that that had been eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. This story we he- we've heard a lot. As soon as I said, let's talk about the feeding of the 5,000, all of you are like, yeah, I, why we, I know. We've heard it. Thank you. <laughs> why don't we tell you about the story of the 5,000? We're very familiar, right? But I thought that was so interesting about the, the, poor bar, the poor Blad, right, being from a poor family. Because I think, again, this gets back to sometimes we quantify what we have in our hand. God's not looking for us to weigh or measure. Let him do that. And again, this, this thing that I have in my hand can't grow unless I give it to the multiplier. It can't even begin to become more beautiful or better until I open up my fist and I give it over to him, right? And the baskets referred to in this passage, if you again study scripture, they were extremely large. So these 12 baskets that were filled with fragments of leftovers were heaping. And again, I want to remind you, the miracle will always exceed the need. The miracle will always exceed the need. It will always exceed the space that we've created. But guess what? We've got to give him something to work with. We've got to give him something to work with. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to give him what is in your hand? Broken, imperfect, small. Whatever you have in your hand, bring it to the king and set it at his feet. Stop hiding. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he will make something beautiful and something new out of our offering, and he will make something beautiful out of us. When we remember who he is, the multiplier, we will recognize the riches that we already possess in our hand. Even the broken pieces are so valuable because, guys, you have no idea what he's about to do with them. But don't carry your brokenness into 2020 and into next year and the year after that. It's time that we deal with our broken pieces. Stop holding on to them. It's not serving you. It's not serving the people around you. It's not. And some of you might think, well, I've, I'm good. I got that brokenness tucked away in that little piece of my heart, and nobody's ever going to see it or go there or whatever. It's not serving you. Let it go. 
give it to the master. Let him heal that part of you, and you're going to be so much better. And the thing is, is when we hold on to brokenness, the only person really that we're setting back is ourselves. We can't be that everything God wants of us. We can't be everything that God created us to be until we let him fix us, until we let him heal us so that we can charge forward in this life, until we can charge forward and chase our purpose. Even the broken pieces are valuable because like the Kintsuji vase, when we give the pieces to Jesus, he will make us whole again and more valuable than we were before. There's beauty in the broken. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast and may God bless you.